Well, today is a special Sunday. In the Eastern Church, they celebrate today the baptism of Jesus. But today, for many churches, it is Epiphany. The word Epiphany comes from the Greek meaning manifestation or appearance. It derives its word meaning from the verb to appear. In the New Testament, this word is used either for the birth of Jesus uh, or to refer to the second coming. And so there's a lot of meaning behind the day of Epiphany. Today I want to walk you through the story of the wise men and look for some meaning in it. Although you need to understand that the way you think about the Christmas story is probably more influenced by a second century novel than it really is by the Bible. There was an anonymous story, it was an expanded birth narrative called the Proto-Evangelium of James. It was not written by the brother of, of Jesus, the author of a gospel. It was written much later by someone who really did not understand either Israel's geography or Israel's customs. Uh, and so it's not real well accepted in its day. But the story continues to be very influential on how many of us think about the Christmas story. For instance, the Bible does not talk at all about Mary riding on a donkey. The fact of the matter is, Joseph probably couldn't have afforded a donkey. There's nothing in the Bible about a donkey. The donkey in the story first shows up in the Proto-Evangelium of James, where Mary rides on a donkey. We also have this image of Mary. She's on the way. She's riding on the donkey, and she's very, very pregnant. And then uh, her water breaks. She is ready to give birth. So they go rushing into town because she's in labor, right? You've seen this story. seen this in the movie. But the Bible actually says, if you go back and read the Bible, it actually says that while they were there, the time came for her to, be, to have a baby, for her to give birth. The Bible is incredibly clear that she does not have the baby the first moment she gets there. In fact, it doesn't even say that she has the baby at night. That's something that comes from this story. Okay? It comes from this story. Um, the other thing that gets kind of tricky related to this is it's really the Proto-Evangelium of John that first talks, or of James, that first talks about a hotel in uh, Israel. Uh, okay. The chances that there is an inn in Bethlehem is not very good at all. Bethlehem is a little dinky town. There's only one reason you go there, and that's a census every 50 years that the Caesar makes you go. There's no reason to go to Bethlehem. You just don't go there. Uh, so the chances are not very good that there's a hotel there. It's just not. The word in really refers to uh, a room that's on the back of the house. And actually the language here makes a lot more sense when you understand how a house in Israel looked. Um, so this this is a layout of a, a typical first century home. In fact, you can still find homes like this in the Middle East. Okay? They were often built kind of on a hill. There's not a lot of flat ground there. right? So your houses are built on a hill. And normally there'd be a lower area where the door was. And then you'd step up into a flat area. Are you with me so far? Now that lower area would be your stable. And in the winter, if you had animals, you would bring them into that area. So that they wouldn't get, actually gets kind of cold in Israel different times of the year at night. You would bring your animals into this stable area here. And right at the top, like on the higher level. So if the animals are down here and you're standing up here. You would put either dig, dig pits out. Or you might have, depending on how low it was. You might have uh, a wooden structure that would be your manger. That's how you would feed your animals. So they would come in at night. 
and there'd be two mangers either dug into the ground or kind of sticking up like you typically think about a manger. Then there'd be kind of a family living room. And then above the living room, typically like right up here, there would there'd be a loft. So you would sleep in the loft. And that way when you bring your animals in at night, the animals have body heat. That would go where? Up. And then it would keep you warm at night. Does that make sense? A lot of times your house also would have a room on the back like this. Just a little square room with a door. And that would be your guest room. And that's actually the word that the gospel uses that's often translated as inn. But it's not really an inn. It's a guest room. So here's how the story probably actually went. Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem. But everybody's going to Bethlehem that's related because it's a census. And there's no room in the guest room because somebody's already there. Okay, the family sleeps in the loft. So where does Mary and Joseph live? In the living room, right? They crash in the living room. And where do they lay the baby? In the manger. Actually, probably most people put their babies in mangers. Why would you have a crib if you have a perfectly good place right there you could clean up and use for your baby? So this is more likely how the story would go. Um, Here's a... This is the best picture I could find of the back room. It's made out of Legos. I don't know, but it showed it the best. This is the Cataluma. See it on the back? This actually has sunken mangers, which is possible. But that's a Cataluma. That's what the back room is called. He's not an inn. Okay, we don't get the idea of an inn from this. We get the idea of an inn from this story that messed us up. Okay? Text does not say Jesus was born at night, and he probably he wasn't the only baby laying in a manger that night. Okay? So we just we're not from that time, so we get this mixed up. We're mixed up by the story. There's also a lot of confusion about these wise men that come, and that's what I really want to get to today. So I want to be reading through uh, Matthew chapter 2. And I just want to read it in kind of chunks and uh, look at the wise men and talk about it a little bit. So the text starts. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Pause. The text clearly says after Jesus is born, the wise men come where? Not to see him, to Jerusalem. So they've got at least a couple of days in Jerusalem. Then they've got to find the baby. They've got to keep traveling to Bethlehem. There is absolutely no way in the text the wise men come that night. It's cuter than a nativity story, but it is not how it works. So why we celebrate Epiphany after Christmas? Because it was at least a few days until they finally came. Saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Wise men. Well, who are wise men? The word wise men is the word magi, and it really means uh, stargazers, uh, philosophers. Uh, the reference to kings really doesn't come out of the text at all. Maybe a reference to Psalm seventy-two, eleven, which says, "May all kings bow down before him." But the text doesn't actually say they're kings. It says they're magi. Magi. They were probably Zoroastrian priests. Zoroastrian was a, a religion at that time, kind of from the east and from the north. Um, that you would, uh, you, you'd look for secret teachings. You'd look for ideal. You would uh, try to get off of the earthly plane and understand in a more spiritual sense what's going on. And so Zoroastrians were very into prophecies. They would, they would look at everybody else's prophecies. 
They would really be like astrologers in our day today. They were looking at the stars, looking at the signs, trying to figure out where, um, where life's going and, and where the real truths are. In fact, the word magi is the same word that we get the word magic from, the same root word, magi. They're not Christians. They're not Jews. Okay? These are pagan religious leaders. They're not kings. The text also, notice, doesn't say how many there are. In the Eastern church, the Magi often number 12. In other churches, the Magi often number 3, and they're given names, right? I already said that to the children. But that really relates to the gifts, not the number of wise men. We don't know. They are given the names Melchior, Casper, and Balthazar pretty early on. Those names are interesting because Melchior is a Persian name. Casper is really like an Indian name, and Balthazar is really a Babylonian name. So it's very interesting to say that these are magi, not just from one place, but from multiple places that come together. We're not quite sure where they're from. We're not quite sure how long their journey was. Uh, but for some reason, they are looking at the prophecies, and they see this star, and they decide, we've got to go see what is happening in Israel. Now, in old translations, you probably heard this when you were a kid, in the King James Version, it, they used to say, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. That's always strange because they're from the east. So if they see his star in the east, they're going the wrong way. They would have gone to India. They would not have come back. But the phrase that's used east is also the phrase for rising. It's the same Greek word because the sun rises in the east. So... The translation I just read, the ESV says, for we saw his star when it rose. That's really this better understanding. But, but it has a sense of this star rising, kind of coming up. Um, so, verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, For it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the, the wise men secretly, ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring word to me, that I too may come and worship him. The Magi read the prophecies and they say, okay, there's a king, he's going to be born in Israel. Where do you assume the king is going to be born? In the palace, at the capital, right? So they go to Jerusalem assuming that's where the king is going to be. But instead of a baby king, they find Herod the Great who ruled Israel on behalf of Rome. Herod was a terrible king. Murdered members of his own family, was suspicious of everybody, I mean, There'd be people, if you questioned Herod, suddenly you would disappear and no one would know what happened to you. That's the kind of guy Herod was. He's interesting, though, because he really followed the Mosaic dietary laws. Herod would not eat pork, for example. In fact, his Roman master, Augustus, used to say, I would rather be Herod's pig than Herod's son. Herod wouldn't kill his pigs, but his sons were a great threat to his throne. He was, very interesting. Um, he was very interested in this idea of a king of the Jews because he's the king of the Jews. And he's already killed multiple people, including his own family members, who are a threat to his throne. 
You mean there's a baby that's a king of the Jew? Yeah, tell me where that baby is. I want to go worship him. Okay, he's not serious about worshiping. And I love how the text says, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Because that's how it was. When Herod was troubled, everybody was troubled. You, you were all troubled. You didn't know what this Herod was going to do. So, the story continues. After listening to the king, they went on their way. Behold, the star they had seen when it rose went from them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. They opened up their treasures, offering him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they reparted to their own country by another way. A lot of people want to debate this star that they follow. Maybe it's a star in the sky. Maybe it's a comet. People want to try to make this uh, a sort of a natural phenomenon. The problem with that is the description of the star is that it's moving, right? That it's moving and it comes to rest over a certain house. Now, I don't know about you, but if I go outside and it's a clear night, I cannot find the star that's directly over my house, right? Stars can't give you pinpoint accuracy like that. I think it's much more likely this is uh, something supernatural. In fact, part of the tradition is that the star is really an angel. And if you look at a lot of nativity sets, you may have a nativity set at home that has an angel over the, uh, the, the nativity scene. Um, it's not just that there was angels that came to the shepherds. There's a representation there that maybe the star is an angel. Because it comes, and they're following it, and then it comes to rest over a house. So they can clearly see, okay, that right there, that's where that star is. Notice that Jesus is in a house. He's not in a hotel. He's not in a barn. Um, they don't really have barns. They don't really have a lot of caves, actually, in Bethlehem. Bethlehem's a lot more grassland. Um, so he's in a house, at least at this point. We're not sure how old Jesus is. He has to be at least a couple of days old, right? Because, because uh, the wise men have to come to Jerusalem. They have to talk to, uh, they have to, talk to Herod the Great. Herod the Great has to bring his people together. They have to figure out where it is. And that's why we traditionally say it's at least a few days until the Magi get there. Maybe it's even longer than that. After they leave... And they're warned in a dream to go another way. Joseph is warned in a dream to go to Egypt. Herod comes and he kills all the male children in that area. And he kills them all at two years and younger. Because he knows about when the star was there. So he tries to do the math and says, I'm going to be safe killing babies under this. Isn't that cruel? I mean, it's terrible. The massacre of the innocents, we call that. But we know that could be at least maybe two years since the Magi have left where they came from to come to here. This is significant because these wise men are not Jewish. They're not Jewish. They are Gentiles. In fact, they're not just Gentile. They are pagans. They worship other gods. And yet they come and they recognize this Jesus. And the gifts that they bring are truly telling. The hymn, I wanted to sing the hymn before this because the hymn goes through the gifts and tries to explain them. Gold is a symbol of kingship. Gold is a single symbol of kingship. So they bring him a treasure of gold. Often I wonder what happened to that gold. What did Jesus do with that wealth of gold? 
But they recognize that this one is king. They've already said that. This is what got Herod so upset, but he is a king. Frankincense is an incense. It's a, a gum or a resin of the Boswellia tree. It's a perfume. But, but it's a significant because it's used in the sacrificial system. It's used in the sacrificial system. So when they burn incense before the altar, they're, they're often burning frankincense. It's the aroma that goes up to the Lord. And so by saying that this... Uh, by giving frankincense, they're recognizing a sense of deity here. That Jesus is the one that inhabits the perfume of the offering. And maybe that Jesus is in part priest. And that's really part of the image of Jesus, the one that's coming. Myrrh comes from a small bushy tree. And it was cultivated in ancient times. You would make a cut in the bark and some of this gummy substance resin would leak out. You would let it dry for several days and then you could crush it or you could grind it down. And you could mix it with oil to make a good smell and make a perfume. It was used in medicine to stop swelling and stop pain. But it is most often used in Jesus' day as an embalming oil. Most often used in Jesus' day as an embalming oil. In fact, it's used on the body of Jesus after he is crucified. In John 19 Verse 33, they take his body down and they get the body ready to be buried. And part of the recognition is they use myrrh. These wise men, we call them wise men because they're pretty wise, right? They see that Jesus is king. They see that Jesus is God. They see that Jesus is going to have to die. Amazing insights from these Gentiles. The wise men are, are told in a dream that they're not supposed to go back to Herod. That they're just supposed to go home. Joseph is told to go to Egypt. They flee to there. There is the massacre of the innocents. Then years later, uh, Joseph, uh, after Herod is dead, Joseph is told in his dream to go back to Israel. Although Herod's son is then ruling in the Bethlehem area. So he goes back to Nazareth, which is where he was from in the first place. Then he's from Galilee. We don't know how long Jesus is in Egypt. We know that at 12, he shows up at the temple. Um, So somewhere before that, he's back in town. Um, And we don't know that much about the wise men from there. There's legends that they went back to their homes. You can go find places in the Middle East that claim, and, and to the East, that claim to be the grave sites of these three wise men. Um, But it's legend. We're not quite sure. The important thing isn't kind of where they went. The important thing is the example that they give for us today. They were pagans, Gentile sinners that worshipped other gods. And they were the first Gentiles to come and worship the Messiah. Who else is a Gentile that came to worship the Messiah? That's us. That's us. They're the first of us. This is the first Christian gathering. It's the first church, the first worship service. Contrast that with Herod, who hears about this king of the Jews. He knows where it is. And does Herod go to see the king? No, no. He wants news so he can go kill the king. But you know who's the saddest person in the whole story? Were all of the people that worked for Herod that knew the Bible. 
You know what I mean? Her- wise men come. Herod's like, okay, everybody, where's this baby going to be born? And they look it up, and they all know Bethlehem. He's going to be in Bethlehem. And do you know none of them go to see that baby? None of them want to believe in this one that's coming. They know, we have no rec- we have no Nothing in the story that says, maybe they were here, maybe they were scared of Herod. Maybe they were terrified of Herod. But if you knew that these wise men said there's a king being born that's the promised Messiah, and you knew that where the Messiah was, wouldn't you at least want to check it out? You got a decision to make with Jesus. Some people will not seek him out. Some people will hear about him, but will refuse to make him Lord and Savior in their lives. Epiphany is a time when we are all challenged to think about our own relationship with this Jesus. Will we see him as Savior and Lord? Will we get the epiphany, the aha of knowing who this Jesus really is? Or will we be more like Herod and be angry? More and more people are angry about Jesus these days. Not just they won't believe in Jesus. They're angry about other people that believe in Jesus. More and more people, too, are, are like those, those scribes that work for Herod. That, that They kind of know about Jesus, but they don't really care. But the wise men, the wise among us, still seek him. Seek him with all your heart. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the example of these wise men who recognize who Jesus is and pursues Finding him, pursues following him, and in, with their lives recognize who he is. May we follow their example as they followed the star this day. Amen.